So if you have your Bibles, grab them or like click on them, whatever you choose to do, and go to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. This Sunday, we are going to begin a series in the book of Jonah. Um, Last um, series was based on Hebrews, and it was fantastic. Um, And so in the next few weeks, we're going to be focusing on Jonah, and it's going to be a fantastic time. It really is. And so to begin our study um, in Jonah, we are going to be reading the whole, the entire story of Jonah together. And to help me do that, I was going to do it by myself. But then I was like, ah, it'll be too boring just listening to me. You guys don't want to listen to me. Um, <laughs> to help us do that and to lead us in reading Jonah, I've invited a few of our members. And to kick us off with chapter one, we have Kimmy Brewer, everybody. Chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, "'What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God.' Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, 
And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nebiah, the great city, and call, ag- and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to uh, Nineveh. Thank you. According to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, and from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat. In ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented all of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made it a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a, a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should, you, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your power and your mercy. So God, as we embark on this journey through the book of Jonah, may you help us all see truths and principles that you want us to see. But above all, God, just as Jonah is in the Bible and so similar to all scripture, God, may you reveal yourself to us through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As I said this morning, we begin a seven-week and series based on the book of Jonah. Um, I'm sure for most of you here, this is not the first time um, you've, you've read um, the story of Jonah. Um, you're very familiar with it. But the interesting thing, thing is, um, it's an intriguing story in the Bible about this man who was swallowed by a large fish because he refused to do what God had asked him to do. Luckily, okay, he didn't die, but he survived. And three days, the fish vomited him out and everything like that. And so the story of Jonah is fascinating. But the question I want us to briefly explore this morning is, what is it all about? What is the story of Jonah all about? People who have studied Jonah have struggled with this question because the story of Jonah seems to be about so many things. Church fathers such as Jerome and Augustine view Jonah as a type of Christ. Most of the reformers, including 
Martin Luther saw Jonah as a Jew who was unwilling to reach out to Gentiles. And they said this showed, this was in a way a depiction of Israel's failure to grasp the gospel and be witnesses to the nations. From the Enlightenment onwards, there was a focus on critiquing or defending the credibility of the story, especially when it came to the fish. And in recent times, there's been more of a focus of the kind of literature Jonah is. Some people think it's a satire or a comedy. Many modern readers view the story of Jonah as fiction. And the reason is, is because of this big fish. They look at a story and they're like, it must be made up. It must be fiction. Because a giant fish swallowing a guy doesn't make sense. Oh, it's an allegory or something. And I wonder what your opinion is. How do you view this famous story of Jonah in the belly of the fish? Do you believe it is literal? allegorical, or completely fictional. My hope is that throughout this study, you will not only learn valuable lessons that will enrich your life, but you will come to know that the story of Jonah is not made up, but it's a true story based on actual events. But the main goal of Jonah is to sharpen your view of who God is. And so... What exactly is this true story all about? Is it the story is it the story of Jonah about race and nationalism? Is it about God calling Jonah to go on a mission since he runs away from the call at first and then goes but then regrets it? Is it about the struggles believers have when it comes to obeying and trusting in God? Jonah is a true story. That is all about all of these things and more. The story of Jonah might only be four chapters long, takes about 10 minutes to read, but it's a treasure chest full of insights. Timothy Keller says this, Jonah is a mountain of, a mountain of scholarship exists about the book of Jonah that reveals the richness of the story, the many layers of meaning and the varied applicability of it is so much of human life and thought. And as I said earlier, Jonah is about so many things, but Jonah is mainly theological. The story of Jonah is all about the God of the universe, who is all-powerful and all-knowing, but at the same time merciful and just. Jonah is a story that will sharpen our view of the real God, a God who is both merciful and just. And so the story begin with, begins with these words. Look at verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. If you spent time reading through the Old Testament, this introduction should sound very familiar to you. This is how most of the biographies and literature of prophets in the Bible begin. They almost always begin with, Now the word of the Lord came to. In this case, 
the word of the Lord came to a man named Jonah, who is the son of a dude called Amittai. Jonah's name means dove, and his father's name means truth. And so you could say Jonah was the son of truth. Jonah was not just the son of Amittai, but believe it or not, he was a prophet. He was a man chosen by God to be his messenger to his people. He was a man who had insight, who saw into the purposes of God and was divinely commissioned to bring God's people under the practical application or authority of his word. And this should be kind of surprising to you, right? Um, because of this, like Jonah being a prophet, every time I hear the name Jonah, I just think of this dude, all right, who was supposed to do something or go somewhere, and he decided to go the opposite direction and then got swallowed by a fish. That's what I think of when I hear the name Jonah, and I'm sure you think of the same thing as well. We never really think of Jonah as a prophet, but he was a prophet, just like Jeremiah, Samuel, Elijah, Ezekiel, etc. How do we know he was a prophet? Go to 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. 2 Kings chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 23 to 25. This is the first time Jonah is mentioned in all of the Bible. Okay, 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 23 reads, all right, um, in the 15th year of Amazai, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat which he made Israel to sin. And here we go. Here's Jonah, first appearance. Here's the cameo, 25. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. First time Jonah is mentioned. And when he's mentioned, he's identified as a prophet. And so the word of God came to a Jewish prophet named Jonah. What did God instruct him to do? Look at verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, God says to him, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now, we all read this and we're like, oh yeah, that's interesting. God's calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. But in hearing this, Jonah would have been shocked. Why? First and foremost, it was shocking for Jonah because he was being commanded by God as a Jewish prophet to leave Israel and travel to a Gentile city. 
It was also shocking because of who he was being sent to. In the time of Jonah, the Assyrian Empire was the most powerful. The Assyrians had a reputation of being extremely violent. If you ever get your hands on a book that talks about the Assyrian Empire and how extremely violent they are, be prepared. Because that book is, that book is very gory. All right? They were extremely violent as an empire. And so, what has this powerful and cruel Assyrian empire got to do with our passage for today? Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And in Jonah's day, Assyria was Israel's most feared enemy. Fifty years before Jonah's time, Assyria had subdued Israel and would eventually conquer Israel a few decades later. And this is the city God commands a Hebrew prophet named Jonah to go. In other words, God is calling Jonah as a missionary to enemy territory, to a violent people he feared and despised. As shocking as it was for Jonah to go to Nineveh, it was even more shocking what he was asked to do when he gets there. Look at verse 2 again. Jonah, yeah? Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Here's what God's going to ask him to do. And call out against it, for their evil has come before me. God's instructing Jonah to call out against the people of the city of Nineveh. Why? Because their evil has come before him. In other words, God has seen how evil and sinister and wicked the Ninevites have been. And he wants Jonah to go there and pronounce judgment on them. Wow. Tim Keller says that Jonah going to Nineveh to call out against it would be like a Jewish rabbi standing on the streets of Berlin in 1941 and calling on Nazi Germany to repent. Or it would be like God calling a Christian in Ukraine to mission work in Russia. Put simply, Jonah was asked to engage with people he feared and despised. How does he respond? Look at verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Most of the time, if you've read your Bible and you know something about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, whenever the, whenever the word of God comes to a prophet, whenever God commands one of his prophets to go and do something, they obey right away with a good heart, 
Sorry, we've been teaching our kids about obedience, and we kind of like came up with these things. You obey right away with a good heart. So anyway, whenever, it's the same thing. Whenever God commands or instructs a prophet, they obey right away, and they do whatever God calls them to do. When God commanded the prophet Hosea to marry an unfaithful and promiscuous prostitute as an object lesson of his faithfulness, how did Hosea respond? He did exactly what God told him to do. He went and married a prostitute. For another example, when God told the prophet Ezekiel to lay on one side of his body for over a year to illustrate the years of the iniquity and that Jerusalem would soon be attacked and destroyed, how did he respond? He did it. He lay on his side for over a year. And so we're expecting Jonah to do the same here, to obey God by going to Nineveh and pronouncing a judgment on the people of the city. But he does not. Instead of going to Nineveh, this is what he does, right? He decides to go to a city called Tarshish. Tarshish, Tarshish, however you pronounce it. And... and the location's crazy. I think I've got a map coming up, okay? Is the map up there? Can, I, can you guys see it? No, it's coming up. Maybe it might not. But basically, Tarshish, is it there? Brilliant. As you can see, here's Nineveh to the east, okay? Over there. Where's Tarshish? All the way over there. My goodness. He's right there. God's calling him east, and he goes as far west as possible. In short, Jonah did the exact opposite of what God told him to do. Going to Nineveh was a huge challenge for Jonah. Big challenge in so many ways that we've looked at. But to call out against that great and evil city was even more challenging. Why is that? To call out against, listen to this guys. Listen carefully, really focus. To call out against the city involved more than confronting the evil in the city. Calling out against the city would ultimately, the ultimate goal of confronting the city was repentance. Put simply, calling out sin is God's way of extending grace. Dane Ortland says this, pronouncements of judgment in the Bible often serve as a warning and a call to repentance for the people against whom judgment has been pronounced. And so for Jonah to go into enemy territory, to call out against it, involved the possibility of mercy for the people of Nineveh. Jonah understood God's judgment, but he also understood God's mercy. He knew that God was willing to forgive sin if there was a true change of heart. And this does not make sense to him. He absolutely disagrees. He doesn't want anything to do with this mission. How could a good God, he says, give a country like that even the smallest chance to know his mercy? Why on earth, Jonah said, would God seek to show mercy to the enemies of his people? So Jonah rejected God's will for his life 
and his rejection is displayed by his action to run in the opposite direction and get as far away from God as possible. Just like Jonah, we all have enemies. We all have been deeply hurt by someone, and as a result, whenever we think about them, our skin crawls, we get uncomfortable, and we just well up with anger. And one of the things revealed to us in this part of the story is this, through Jonah's life is this. One day, you may be asked to extend grace to someone you have been deeply hurt by. There may come a time when you will be asked to do good to someone you hate. One day, you may be expected to show kindness to someone you despise. Who or what is currently the Nineveh in your life? With whom in your life have you refused to share God's message of mercy and grace? Are you withholding God's message because of fear, bitterness, judgment, or something else? Who or what is the Nineveh in your life? You may one day be asked, to extend grace and mercy to someone you fear and despise. Jonah was unwilling, was an unwilling prophet given an assignment that he found displeasing. And so he chose to disobey God by doing the opposite of what God had told him to do. It says at the end of verse 3 that Jonah's goal for going to Tarshish was to, in a way, run away from the presence of God. <laughs> Look, Jonah was no theological lightweight, right? He was a prophet. He was very much aware of the fact that you, you just cannot escape God's presence, right? Very much no one, like he knew that no one in, on this planet can ever escape God's presence. Trying to escape God's presence is like trying to escape, you know, your thoughts or something. Or trying to escape your skin. Like, I don't know, it's, it's impossible. And so what does it mean when it says Jonah tried to escape from God's presence? What did Jonah have in mind? And so if you think about it, the people of Israel were God's people. Um, and as a result of being God's people, God, they were the people group God has chosen, had chosen to represent him 
um, and God's presence dwelt right, with God's people. And in Hebrews, we learn about the tabernacle, and um, that was where God's presence dwelt in a unique way amongst his people. And God also provided the people of Israel with practices that they could use in order to engage God, like the sacrifices and, you know, the commandments and everything like that. And as a prophet, Jonah was very much involved in these practices. He was a prophet. He regularly engaged with God in the temple and was very familiar with God's word and everything like that. And so notice that Jonah didn't just refuse to go to Nineveh. Think about it. He could have just heard the word of God, go to Nineveh, and he could have said, no, I'm staying poor. I'm not going anywhere. But what does he do? He actually, he actually says, no, God, I'm not going to Nineveh, but I'm going to get away from my people. This truth is as relevant today as it was then for Jonah. Listen to this. Jonah instead decides to get as far away, not just from Nineveh, but from his current location because he wanted to get away from anything and anyone that was associated with God. I don't know about you, but I am personally likely to distance myself from anything related to God whenever I'm walking in disobedience. I am likely, and maybe you can relate, I am likely to distance myself from anything directly related to God whenever I'm walking in disobedience. Rebellion against God often, not all the time, right? Often leads to separating ourselves from the things of God. Maybe it looks like this. It looks like isolating yourself from a church community. Isolating yourself, deciding to disconnect from a church community may be an indication of how far away from God you are. Maybe whenever I'm in disobedience, I don't want to read my Bible. I don't. Why? Because I know I'm going to read something that will confront my disobedience and rebellion. Prayer is hard for me, man. Because I know when I'm praying, like, what do I say? Like, I, yes, God, uh, I know I'm doing something I shouldn't be doing. Uh, hey, <laughs> Rebellion against God often leads to separating ourselves from anything directly associated with him. And so how are you trying to escape the presence of God? I know you're no 
you, you're like a theological heavyweight and you understand God is sovereign and God is everywhere. I know you understand that. And you understand that you could never really actually escape God's presence, but how are you trying to distance yourself from anything associated with God? Maybe your diminished desire for the things of God is your attempt to escape the presence of God. And so how are you trying to run from God's will for your life this morning as you've listened to this brief introduction of Jonah and a brief reading of it, what is God asking you to do that you don't want to do? In what way are you running from him? What this morning do you need to surrender and what attitudes do you need to change in order to be obedient to God? In the weeks to come, we're going to dive deep into the story of Jonah. And as we do, we'll not only discover the devastating consequences of disobeying God, but most importantly, we'll come to know the God, the God whom the Psalms describes as a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. We will come in contact with the God who will not always accuse or harbor his anger forever. We will encounter a God who does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And in the book of Jonah, we will encounter our great God who because of his son Jesus Christ and all that he done for us, he says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has our great God, because of Jesus, removed our transgressions for us. God is a good and gracious and merciful God. He really is. And a crazy, awkward story like Jonah wants us to see and know and cherish and behold who he truly is. That's the God we'll encounter as we begin to dive deep into the story of Jonah. Let's pray. Thank you, Father your word and your truth. Thank you for helping us see who you are. God, I pray that as we think about our lives and what you're calling us to, God, may you, by the power of your spirit, enable us to obey. And if we are drifting and moving in a direction away from you and away from your purposes, God, may you draw us back to yourself. 
In Jesus' name, amen.